views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. And man, is it a pleasure to be doing this show again from the confines of my favorite little studio here in Miami, Florida. Last week, we were in a hotel room. I was doing the show from a hotel room in Orlando because I was on business, but we still made the show happen. Our producer, Lauren, was hosting, was producing the show from some random theater in some city in Washington state that I can't pronounce, and we still brought the show to you, and I couldn't be happier about that. Happy to bring in our co-host as well this week. JC is joining us. Hey, JC. How's it going? It is going so well. Can I tell I, you something I, about this hotel situation? Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So... We're doing this, uh, recording the podcast from the hotel room, and I don't have this professional mic, and I don't have, like, you know, the walls set up that are sound-treated. I don't have the lighting and everything, and I'm afraid, like, the product's not going to look great. And then I listened back to it, and it sounded really solid, because here's something I've now discovered and affirmed. Hotel rooms, sneaky good acoustics. Okay, yeah, but you might just be the MacGyver of podcasts. (laughs) That could also be it. Don't sell yourself short. I'll take all the credit people are willing to ascribe to me, but think about what a hotel room is, okay? Carpet, Mm -hmm. thick curtains, bed sheets, but basically 85% of the the cubic service area of a hotel is padded in some way, right? (laughs) It's true. And so they wind up being... Sometimes the walls? Sometimes the wall. Well, you know, if it's a crazy enough hotel, some of those Vegas ones, you'll get the padded walls. And I'm I'm not the only one to have discovered this. I actually, I heard from one of my high profile clients on this exact subject when I told him about my discovery and he told me, oh yeah, we lay down vocals in hotel rooms all the time. Not just because like we're always traveling, so we have to, but right. Hotel rooms, great acoustics. Sometimes we'll throw down some blankets up on the walls or whatever, but apparently hotel rooms, sneaky, good places to record audio. It's almost like they were made to keep the sound inside the room. Oh, yeah. And that's the other thing, right? Is you're keeping sound like unwanted sound does not make its way into the room because of, you (laughs) know, their hotel. Unless you're in like one of those like, you know, kind of less elite hotels. Um, You know, I I have a less elite hotels. Well, I I, I, basically everywhere I stay. (laughs) I, I have a very like firm memory embedded into my brain of, of a certain hotel that I don't want to slander on the air. So I'll just say that it rhymes with Ibano Lodge okay. and uh, was able to, I was in this like random hotel at this uh, in this room and it was able to hear word for word, an entire like drug deal transaction happening in the room adjacent to mine. And I thought I was going to die that night. Thankfully the room I was in last week to do break the business Complete opposite and perfectly good acoustics. So if there was some illicit transaction happening in the room next to me, I wouldn't have known about it. And more importantly to this podcast, it would have never picked up on the mic. Yeah, it's true. I, I'm still stuck on the fact that you just called it Ebono Lodge and you 2 is already putting the paperwork to sue you immediately. <laughs> so just know that's coming down down the line for you, Ryan. Oh, man, I, I wouldn't want to uh, I wouldn't want to get them upset. <laughs> um all right so let me talk about our guest this week really excited to have him on he's gonna be coming up after the commercial break judah weedry is joining us he is the coo of airbit i love companies like this uh, airbit's an online beats marketplace and i find that these companies are so often on the front lines of indie artist empowerment because so That's many great indie artist tracks that we discover on tiktok or that catch fire on soundcloud if you trace their lineage all the way to their beginnings it all started with often a beat that somebody gets off of these one of these beat marketplaces that they either oh, yeah. lease or something. And 
and just I, I love these kind of companies. And in addition to to working at that company, he's got a long history as a indie artist, empowerment advocate, and a music executive. He's worked with Fender and Mashable. We're gonna have a lot of stuff to talk to him about. I'm excited. Sounds cool. Yeah, real cool. Um, so here's the thing about Judah's uh, story. All right, I want I want to get your thoughts on this uh, before we bring him in after the commercial break. So I'm gonna let you and the listeners peek behind the curtain on something. When before we bring in a guest. We have them fill out a questionnaire of the things that they want to talk about, you know, and we get their information, like what's your social or your social media, not your social security your number. That's probably a little too much information. Uh, you know, what are your socials, <laughs> websites? Uh, what, what stories do you want to talk about? Any interesting facts you want to share? And the one thing I always ask them as part of the questionnaire is, is there a funny life story of yours unrelated mm. to music that we can talk about on the air? And every once in a while, a guest gives me like a good nugget. And I'm like, oh, that's definitely going to come up in the interview. Here's my problem with Judah. Judah gave me three amazing nuggets oh. of things we can talk <laughs> about in the air. We don't have time to talk about all three. So what I want to do, JC, and I'm going to invite you and the viewers slash listeners on this particular thing. I'm going to give you all three stories. And I want you to tell me which of the three do you want Judah to tell during the interview, okay? Okay, here and we go. So, you know, let's do it this way. We'll, we'll ask you first, JC. We'll give you a chance to weigh in. And then throughout the show, we'll let the viewers and listeners answer in the comments of which of the three stories they want to hear. And based on kind of where the consensus lies, that's the one we'll ask him about. We're, we're, we're nothing if not a democracy like RuPaul, here. it will be my decision. Yes. It will be my decision. Thank that's you. We didn't we didn't want to tell the listeners, but yeah, it's absolutely your decision. No, just say it up front. <laughs> it's uh the, the listeners' views will have what the lawyer what we lawyers like to call persuasive authority, but ultimately JC is the judge and jury on this one. All right, so here are the three stories, JC. Do you want to hear our guest, Airbit C C O O, Judah Weedry, talk about one, the time that he ran with the Bulls in Pamplona? And had a rather horrifying run-in with one particular bull. So that's number one. That's already kind of crazy and out there. Number two, do you want to hear about how our guest Judah Weedry's first startup failed because of the band The Killers? Okay. That's all we get. We don't know. I don't know what The Killers had to do with his startup. I don't know if, like, you know, Brandon Flowers, like, you know, was an investor who pulled out his funding that at the last minute. I don't know. Mad juicy. That could yeah. be really juicy. Yeah, I know. Okay, there's a lot there. What else do you we know? Got? What else or do, we do you want to hear about how Judah almost lost $140,000 in Bitcoin due to an in incompatible Ledger wallet? I, I should I should tell you on the front end, I don't know what a Ledger wallet is. I don't know <laughs> the basis by which a Ledger wallet establishes its compatibility but Probably i know that one hundred forty thousand dollars is a lot kind. of money yeah exactly one hundred forty thousand. the money money talks that's a good one it's like it's yeah. like riches to rags story we love we love hearing that if only there's some way um, we could combine these like could he tell yeah. us a story of how like brandon flowers of the killers was riding on a bull and like you know impaled a bunch of his investors which caused the startup to fail and uh, somehow he lost 140 G's in Bitcoin. <laughs> or like a bull like stole a bunch of Bitcoin and then paid the killers. Something down that line. Uh, you know, I want to hear about the killers. Yes! I'm, I'm, yes! I'm all team yes! the killers. Let's do that story. JC, uh, I, my decision is final. You and I are always like so in sync about these things. Oh, yeah. That's the one I wanted to hear about so bad. And only because it was the killers, right? If yeah. his first startup failed because of any other band, like, okay, you know, the uh, Starland vocal band caused your start startup to actually, I'd be pretty interested in that one too. But, but the killers in particular <laughs> makes that juicy. All right. So. We will allow, you know, viewers, listeners, if you guys can make a compelling case in the comments as to why we should go in a different direction, we're willing to entertain comments. But JC makes a good point about wanting to hear any story involving the it's killers. True. I'm very sorry. I'm the electoral college over here. <laughs> Popular vote. Do your thing. But we know who's yeah. really making the choices. Over JC is Florida, Ohio and Pennsylvania on this one. Yeah. All right. 
Before we bring him in, want to talk about an interesting story with you that popped in on the Wall Street Journal. If you're keeping score at home, that is now the second week in a row that we get an indie music story from the Wall Street Journal of all places. Wall Street Journal report. Here we go. I'm telling you. Not a sponsor. Well, we were talking about this last week, JC, that like the millennials have kind of taken over the Wall Street Journal at this point, right? Like when we were growing up, the Wall Street Journal was like a bunch of like, you know, hoity-toity stories about savings and loan banks and crap we didn't care about. And now it's all like Twitch and record labels and indie music. I love it. It's our world now. Yeah. And we're renting it because we're millennials. I I didn't see that coming. Uh, So here we are. (laughs) This is the world we live in. So here's the story. Um, Talking about uh, this, you know, recent phenomenon of uh, it all, like, like most things in the music industry, it begins and ends with Taylor Swift. But the Wall Street Journal has reported that the Universal Music, the largest record label there is, the you know 8,000-pound gorilla of the industry, is changing their record deal practices going forward so that artists are not allowed to re-record their old masters. Instead of not being able to re-record their old masters for two years after the agreement's over, it's now being extended to as many as five years after the agreement is over. And experts are speculating that one of the things that is propounding this is our recent phenomenon of our girl Taylor, who is now rather famously in what I think is like the ultimate FU to Scooter Braun is re-recording all of her old big machine masters so that she can own these new masters. And because her fans love her so much, they're all whistling to the new masters and the old masters are fading into obscurity. Uh, Universal doesn't want that to happen again. And so now they're changing their practices. I, I just want to ask you, just to jump into the detail here, what sort of power does her re-recording her masters give her as opposed to not? Just for the listeners to, and also me, to be a little <laughs> bit deeper into the conversation. <laughs> well, it, it gives her all the power in, in a lot of ways. So this is something that she's able to do because she commands her fans, right? They, the, the Swifties, yeah. as, I, as I believe they are aptly named, they love her and adore her. And so when... She re-records her old masters because she wants to own those. She can then tell her fans, go stream my new version of these songs and not the old the version. version. The Taylor's version, as they're all parenthetically known. And they're all going to do that because her fans love her and appreciate her. And, and honestly, a lot of these new tracks, it's interesting to hear her reinterpret these songs with the benefit of experience and sort of living a life and, you know, a lot of the songs have kind of a retrospective quality to them. You can tell like there's a lot more years going into these songs. And so it's interesting to see these, hear these reinterpretations. Often they're very subtle, but still really interesting. And obviously I love everything that Taylor Swift does and is. And so, you know, these tracks are are fabulous. Oh, without a doubt. Swifty confirmed. Without a doubt. I mean, (laughs) for, for, for all, for, for both as like a music fan and as a music industry pundit, I I appreciate her because in addition to like just you know making this writing the songs that make the whole world sing, what she does on the music business side is so cool. As an indie artist advocate, she rather famously in 2015 threatened to pull her album off of Apple Music unless Apple Music agreed to pay all the other artists on the platform during the free trial period, which they weren't initially going to do. So she's always stuck out for the indie artists, which makes this particular story interesting because this is universal music making it so that artists can't re-record their old masters for a longer period. And this is the label that Taylor Swift is signing to is signed to when she left big machine, she re-signed with universal. So I don't know what to make of this, that, that this is her label making sure that nobody can do what Taylor Swift did ever again. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Or just, Gumming up the works for anyone that has any idea of doing such a thing ever again. Yeah. So these are only for new contracts, right? Or is this something that they could retroactively do? Like, I can't, I mean, who knows with these things, but I can't imagine you you can't go back and, and modify a record deal. Like, you know, you have, you know, you have a contract, but I mean, who knows with what these labels can do, but I I would imagine that what's going to happen here is it's going to be a, a change in practices going forward. And now, absolutely, you know, lawyers like me are going to start to look at these documents, are going to start seeing those, the, the two change to a five, and then we're going to like yell about it. And they're going to say, well, we're the label, we're really big and your client's really small. And then we'll say, yep, I guess it's five years now. 
and yeah. you know, unfortunate is what it is. But, um, but yeah, there's a lot of power in that because more than ever, owning masters and having those master rights is is valuable because you know we're a streaming world now, and most of the money that is made when a song is streamed on Spotify comes from the master side, not the songwriting side. So songwriters. As little as master recording owners make on streaming services, songwriters make even less. And and so if just you are big slicing machine... Slicing up that penny just a little bit more. Just a that's little, right. little and, sliver more. And so now if you're big machine, I shouldn't say big machine because big machine, you know, sold those masters to Scooter Braun's people. So if you're Scooter Braun, you're now sitting on a bunch of old masters that aren't getting streamed and are not getting used in TV shows and movies and things like that anymore because everybody's going to want to use the new Taylor version to make Taylor happy. And so the value of your masters dropped precipitously. And so Universal's afraid of that happening to them someday where they own these masters because you, you know the label generally owns the masters under a record deal, and they don't want an artist who becomes famous and has a legion of fans to re-record the masters after the deal's over and make their masters instantly worthless. But... It's, you know, it's upsetting to me as an artist side entertainment lawyer. I think five years is way too long to allow an artist to re-record their old songs, especially, especially oh, yeah. in cases where the artist wrote the original song, right? Like you're telling Taylor, you're telling the next Taylor Swift, hey, you know that song that you wrote? We're not going to let you record your own song again for, you know, what could be a decade after you originally recorded the song because it's after the whole agreement's over. You know, that, right. that, that to me is upsetting. And I wonder what Taylor Swift thinks of all this. Not to, like, put her on the spot, because, again, I adore her. She writes all the songs that make the whole world sing. <laughs> but you know, as, somebody who, as somebody who I know is a staunch indie artist advocate and a strong artist advocate and has often put her name and, you know, notes app memos that are screenshotted <laughs> behind these kind of <laughs> movements. Oh, she she's the queen of the notes app memo that's screenshotted and placed on Instagram oh, yeah. and Twitter. The, the iOS press release. Yes. I'm wondering when we're going to see the iOS press release from Taylor Swift saying to her label, I don't like what you're doing here. You're telling the world that what I just did is something you don't want artists to do anymore. Like what, what message does that send to what is your most valuable artist on your label? I mean, that... That to me is very surprising to hear, and you know, I, I just, <laughs> I, I don't know what can be. I, I, I'd like to see her take some action on this, for what it's worth. For sure. I mean, if it's what you say, I think it's pretty much in line with what she has done in the past, and that she will be on the side of the indie artists, and that this will be something that she will rail uh, against Universal against, and she'll be pretty vocal, but. You know, time will tell because uh, it's pretty suspicious that they are doing this right after, you know, I, I think Red was the album that was recently released. Red Taylor's uh, version. Oh, so yeah, so good. Like, oh, so yeah. good. <laughs> so the feels, JC. And I know what you're thinking, like, like, oh, man, that album must give you some of the feels. Oh, no, no, no. It gives you all of them. All of the feels. All the feels. Every oh, last are, one. There are no skips on that album. Oh, there wasn't a skip back when she put it out like uh, 10 or 15 years ago. And there are no skips today. Oh, speaking of red. Um, God, this is going to take us back, JC. But I, I just remember this story and how hilarious it was. Do you remember when we were watching the Grammys when red was up for album of the year? And it was okay. up against got to take me back like okay who this is, is a up this is one of my favorite grammy stories like my two favorite like all time grammy moments uh one is like aretha franklin performing uh, the nessun dorma in pavarotti's place oh, awesome yes. but number 2 is taylor swift's up for album of the year for red she's mm -hmm. up against daft punk's random access memories which had like okay. uh, get lucky and all i mean that was that, that track that that album was incredible and most people thought that it was kind of neck and neck between the two of them. Most people thought Daft Punk was probably going to win because, again, that album was huge that year. But, you know, Taylor Swift is Taylor Swift. And when they show, when they're about to announce the winner, they show, like, all the boxes of all the nominees, like, waiting with bated breath to see who's going to win Album of the Year. And the announcer, go, you know, and the Grammy for Album of the Year goes to, and you hear the first, the first syllable, the R, the R, the R, 
And in that moment, you see Taylor Swift's eyes light up because she's like, oh my God, they're about to say red. I'm about to win Alma of the Year. And then it's Random Access Memories by Daft Punk. And you see in that moment, like people need to find this clip of Taylor Swift, I love her, going through all five (laughs) stages of grief in six-tenths of a second at this Grammy Award. Uh, but because again, but you know, that album probably could have won album of the year. And I'm saying that Red Taylor's version, the new one, this one, even better. Let me just say this last piece uh, about what I think this could mean for the industry as a whole. Now that we've come back from memory lane here, it is just the latest in record label shenanigans, things that I find so frustrating about the way record labels do things about, you know, it's so hard to get labels to change their contracts. When I go to labels and say, hey, label, maybe you shouldn't have a packaging deduction in your royalties anymore for digital downloads because they don't have any packaging. And it (laughs) takes them years to make that change. But meanwhile, the millisecond that they realize that they don't want to become the next Taylor Swift, they are so quick to change the re-recording restriction language from two years to five years. So these kind of shenanigans frustrate me. And I contrast that with a story that recently has come out from... TuneCore, this was reported by Billboard and The Verge, talking about how they've created a new weapon for indie creators. So, you know, on one side, one more reason why record deals kind of stink. Here's a little extra benefit for indie creators. And it's what TuneCore is doing now with its music distribution, with this new what it's calling social music distribution option. So TuneCore is now allowing artists on its platform to have free uploads of their music to platforms like uh, social platforms like TikTok, Facebook, Instagram Reels, YouTube, things like that. Not the uh, not the Spotify's and the iTunes's and the Apple Music, but the social media platforms. They'll let you have free distribution of those platforms. To me, this is exciting because a lot of artists these days are getting their start breaking their music on TikTok, where they're they're putting their music out on TikTok and letting it, you know, get on that platform and go viral for weeks Goes viral. before they yeah. release it on Spotify. And like you'll, I mean, and how how crazy is it? Like you you see when a song is just a banger on TikTok, and then you go into the comments and you see just comment after comment of, please put this on Spotify. Why isn't this on I Spotify this? yet? Yeah, make this a sound. Exactly, and. In a lot of ways, that's a that is a that's a targeted strategy on the on the part of the artist. They are building buzz on the platform so that when they finally do put it on Spotify, then it you know obviously has a huge groundswell of support behind it. It can shoot up the charts and create some more virality on that platform. And the nice thing is that TuneCore is making it easy now for indie creators to do that because now you can do those social media uploads for free. Because normally TuneCore charges like you know what is it like you know, 79 or 59 or dollars a single or whatever. But now you can do the free social upload while you build that support. And then if the track catches fire on TikTok, then you can put up the money to release it as a single on Spotify. But that way you're not releasing a bunch of tracks before you know if they're going to have any traction. And so I, I love it. I dig it. And it just, and seeing those two stories that come out so closely together where it's like, oh, great. Another reason why labels stink. And ooh, here's another great advantage to putting out your music independently. Of course, I have to talk about these stories together. Yeah, here's, here's something that's actually going to help people. And I really like this shift of saying, you know what? We're going to let you do this for free, essentially. And if it catches fire, yeah, we'll get a cut because we're doing some of the service, but you're going to get a bulk of that. So that's really good to see because, you know, the tools out there, while they are kind of growing, it's kind of a little, it's it's a muddy waters to really see how people are going to kind of profit off of their creativity, especially in this kind of social media space where it's like, yeah, I got a million views and that's all I got. I got a million eyes on something and I didn't really find a way to sort of, you know, springboard that into something of a career or to help my career. So this is, sounds like a really awesome service. It is. It's nice to have that free distribution option available because for, I think a increasingly large proportion of musicians, that TikTok release is really the only one that matters, you know, in terms of, Oh yeah. Like for a lot of artists, like it just doesn't pay to put it on Spotify anymore. Like, Oh, I'm going to put my music on Spotify and you know, maybe a thousand people, you know, stream it. I make like nothing. And you know, that's it. Or 
you know, so like, why even make the expense if like you're not even going to make enough on Spotify to make up for like what you've paid TuneCore to put your music on Spotify? But now you have a so the only only real distribution that matters for many artists is just putting it on TikTok because maybe it goes viral, maybe it catches fire, maybe I get my big break from that. Maybe a movie wants to put my song in their movie or a TV commercial wants to put my song in a TV commercial. And those commercials can just as easily find your music on TikTok and probably are more likely to find your music on TikTok than you would be on Spotify. So I like that this is TuneCore sort of like <laughs> reading the tea leaves, like getting with the times, being like, oh, maybe this is what the creators want now. Like it used to be, oh, I'm going to get your music on iTunes. Like 20 years ago, that's what everybody, you needed help getting your music on iTunes. And then it was every service was ago. that. Yeah. And then every <laughs> service was, I'll get your music on Spotify. And now every service is, I'm going to get your music on TikTok. Ah. Yeah, well, you got to go where people are. So that's where they are. Amen and to that. it's tune core. It's not cottage core. <laughs> so. I wish it was cottage core. It's not American core, which is a thing that I learned exists. So what is American core? Because like when American I close my core. eyes, I know what cottage core is. Like I see it in my head. But like Ameri- is American core like what people in Europe think American is? America is like that I about nail it close it's actually i think it's um it, it derived in asia oh. uh, it is an interpretation one continent of, off. Like, yeah just a little off you gotta move over that you know continental shift uh yeah it's uh, basically sort of stereotypical american things uh you know you see uh, people in china take pictures outside of a costco and they're like look at me i'm doing an american thing or uh, you know i'm i'm in walmart uh, so that is that is american core oh my god uh, is this like this is where we are oh my god it's oh well, i just found out the other day that uh, apparently in like europe they use the word texas as a verb like when something is like really loud and boisterous and like over the top and ostentatious, they'd be like, man, that's real Texas, which I think is just <laughs> wonderful. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We got Judah Weedry from Airbit coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Keep checking us out here on Break the Business. More fun to come. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you a lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back, you beautiful people. It is Break the Business on Facebook Live, Twitter Live, YouTube Live, and Sirius XM Channel 145. Wherever you are checking us out, we are so, so happy to have you. I'm Ryan Carella here with JC. Welcome back from the break. Um, Let's bring more people into our fun here. Our guest this week is the COO of Airbit, 
an online beats marketplace that empowers musicians through community and provides unique monetization tools. Our guest is a former Fender and Mashable executive who has dedicated his career to helping indie musicians find success on their own terms. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.airbit.com. We are happy to welcome Judah Weidry on to Break the Business. Hello, Judah. Hey, hey, hey. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to have you here, sir. We appreciate you taking the time. This is going to be a blast. All right. I got all kinds of music industry questions to ask you about, so don't think we've forgotten about that. However, the people have spoken on this one, and the results are overwhelming, mostly (laughs) JC. And we have chosen which of the three stories of yours that we would like to hear from. And we'd like to start, we'd like to open with this. Can you please tell us all how your first startup failed because of Las Vegas based band, the killers? Okay. Okay. So first I have to caveat that maybe the killers was actually like the punchline. It might actually have been the, the thing I should have uh, saved to the end, but I'll, I'll give you the, I'll give you the cliff notes here. So, so basically um, I had first moved to New York. I was living in New York City. I must have been maybe 22, 23 years old. And I, uh, I had two buddies that were living there. One was a lighting guy and one was a, a roadie, a tour guy. And we had this great idea that we'd come up with this um, music production company uh, helping produce tours for indie rock bands in New York. And so, um, you know, we were really scrappy at the time. This must have been 2004, 2005. And, uh, and we had some great bands and we started to make a little name for ourselves. So after, you know, six, seven, eight months, we were, we were producing Interpol. They had a tour happening, uh, Blonde Redhead. I don't know if you remember any of these bands from back in the day. Um, Stella Star uh, was another. I-, I was a college radio DJ in the early 2000s, so <laughs> unequivocally, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, that was prime, prime college music, indie rock music at the time. And so we got this phone call from... Um, a band manager called uh, Braden. And uh, he was a friend of a band manager that we were already working with. And he said, you know, I have this like two week tour that we have to go uh, and, and get done and, and we need some help. And they made this introduction to, uh, to, to me, I was sort of managing the business side of things. And so uh, the conversation was essentially how quickly can we produce this tour, get hotels, advance the tour, get a tour manager, get a lighting guy. And I was like, perfect. You know, I know it's during the holidays, but my business partners, they can do this. I promise they're, they're the best in the business. And so I offered up my business partners to go on this two week tour with this unknown band. And, uh, you know, they go, I think they went to LA and Chicago and New York. And, um, and so after the tour is over, they, they, you know, phoned me and said, you know, this, it worked out great. We want to use your service again. This is fantastic. Uh, let's produce a tour for Europe. And I said, great, let me go find some guys to go on the tour. And they said, actually, no, we, we want your two business partners to go on this tour. Oh. And so it was this big conversation. Should we, you know, what, what do we do here? We got to give them what they want. It's not a, it's not a long tour. It'd be like two months long. And uh, you guys can, you know, hold your end up of the business uh, while on tour, right? And they were like, yeah, of course, no problem. Uh, well, you know, 20 years later, 17 years later, they're still with the killers. No. So, uh, <laughs> It was that they broke up the they broke up the band, so to speak. So my my both my business partners ended up uh, you know joining the band and and having a really Brandon wonderful flowers snatched your team. Yeah, wow. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn. So, so yeah, yeah. So that's they, the story. In they the couldn't they couldn't resist his siren call. Yeah. Oh yeah, my god, yeah. that's oh god. And so like this would have been what like was this like early so there's like early 2000s killers like we're talking about like like pre-hot fuss or like pre-samstown killers yeah oh this was like right as this was for hot fuss so it oh, this was for hot, hot fuss, fuss came out yeah exactly so this was the tour the first tour they did for hot fuss um you know my business partner his name's jeremy he he was the tour manager uh and and ended up um you know they they started to do well the the, the uh, record came out and all of a sudden it just, you know, obviously climbed the charts. And, and so with that success, they, they really were, uh, you know, let's not change a thing, including our tour manager and our lighting guy. <laughs> let's oh, keep man. it all the same. Oh, look, like I, I feel bad for what happened to you there, but like, I, I can't blame 
your guys for like straying on that. Not not just because the killers are the killers, but like Hot Fuss was just banger after banger. All right. Yeah. You're talking about Mr. Brightside. You're talking about Somebody Told Me. You're talking about Change Your Mind. You're talking about Believe Me, Natalie. Just just every track on that album was fire. And, and like they, just, they couldn't resist. They got it was a siren call. But it sounds so, like things have worked out OK for you in the in the short in the meantime, though. Yeah, well, I transitioned from that from that company. We kept it open. It was called Ground Up Productions and we kept it open. I ended up starting to um, uh, manage bands and I managed this band called Death of Fashion. Uh, they were great, although they sounded a little too similar to the Strokes. So it was sort of like, we already got the Strokes. We don't need a second Strokes over here. Um, so, But because of my relationship with the Killers, we ended up having uh, them open up at Jones Amphitheater for the Killers. So I was able to get like some of my bands to to be part of the draft off the success of the Killers at the time, which was really kind of fun. Did you have any like awkward moments where you're like running into your old guys in the high on the hallway? You got to be like, Hey, Hey, how's it going? Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Have you lost weight? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, come into the killer's green room, green room for a second. Oh. And, and when I came in, I was like, Hey, this is not like our green room. This is, you know, we're in the, oh, we're in the storage they, closet they over here. They brought you into the green. That is, all right. That's a little cold. <laughs> that's that. Oh man. That, that, they're just rubbing it in at that point. Um, all right. But again, Things have been pretty sweet uh, for Judah in the meantime. You're doing some really cool things, and uh, you've really kind of been on the forefront in various roles in kind of this technological revolution where we're seeing technology leveling the playing field for indie creators, and that's kind of been the theme of the last few weeks on this program. We've been talking about things like blockchain and NFTs and smart contracts and all these innovations that are coming out of the woodwork to make things to, to put indie creators in a stronger position than they would have been, say, 10 years ago. So let me ask you, of all the tech developments you're seeing right now, the the, the Web 3.0s, the blockchains, the whatever it is, what's the example of technology that you're most excited about in terms of leveling that playing field? Yeah, I mean, first off, um, you know, I really enjoyed listening to the first part of the show. You guys really had uh, very apropos and, and relevant to this conversation, of course, with you know our mission, which is to make music more fair. And so to answer your question, you know, I think that, you know, we're going to see a lot more AI technology bolstering uh, independent creators and leveling the playing field. You know, I think Chris Anderson, he wrote that book on long tail where he talked about how like the majority of marketing goes to the smallest amount of creators. And then there's this huge long tail of folks that never see the light of the day, even if it's the best of the best work. So I think with AI technology, what we're going to see is this discovery improvement. And, you know, that's something that we're messing around with uh, at Airbit. Um, you know, we're looking at how we can leverage AI technology to help that discovery. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, when you look at how an artist might come to Airbit to search for beats. And, and by the way, just for those who don't know, Airbit is a, a platform that provides selling tools and monetization services for music producers. But we also have a marketplace where music producers can put their uh, finished instrumental beats up on the marketplace and then songwriters, rappers, artists, labels can go and uh, license or purchase those uh, those beats from you know, producers on the marketplace. And so you know, what we're looking to do is, is integrate uh, you know, a discovery tool that makes it you know, more searchable uh, by sound. And so maybe I should back up and explain, you know, the, the, the ecosystem. And by the way, Ryan, you, you did a great job of explaining sort of the way that, you know, beats work is it is, they, they are kind of the foundation of, of music. It's like the, the raw ingredients of, of what we hear today in popular music. And so what has happened is music producers, you know, they go on these marketplaces or they have their own storefronts. Uh, and what happens is, they have um, this thing called type beats. And what type beats are is when a producer will go ahead and name their beat uh, a, a Drake type beat or, or Travis Scott type beat. And so if you're a, an artist or a label and you're looking for a beat and you say, oh, I was just thinking I want this Drake type beat. And perfect, this guy named his beat Drake type beat. And so what will happen is, uh, you know, that's at the discretion of the music producer. And that's something that uh, they can also tag it, Drake type beat. But what happens is, is that 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 they're 
that can be confusing and misleading for an artist or someone who's searching for a beat. And so we think that, you know, a big piece of this would be to replace that self tagging or that self naming and let the music speak for itself by doing implementing an AI technology to do that. So with Airbit specifically, if you copy paste a link, um, Spotify, SoundCloud, anywhere you listen to music, you input it into our search engine. It will analyze the beat. Our AI technology will analyze that beat. You can even strip out the vocals. You can even match the BPM. And it will use that reference track against our entire library of a million plus beats. And it'll start picking out beats that sound similar to that reference. So if you're some random music producer no in way. like Lisbon, Portugal, and you've been producing beats for 15 minutes, there's a good, there is a possibility that your beat will, will result in that search um, simply because it matches the reference track that that artist label songwriter has, has produced. So that's that the kind incredible. of stuff that I think will change it. That yeah. is incredible technology. I, I just, I, you were talking before about discoverability. I mean, what a great way to level the playing field for even the smallest, you know, you know, numbers indie creator to be able to make their way, like to cut through the clutter because this AI can find something that sounds like a sound, but actually because it sounds like a sound. Because like in the old days, like I know about this, we're working with so many music supervisors and music licensees for sync projects. When we're searching for a song, because that's the way these sync projects always are, is it's like, well, we want a Drake song, but we can't afford Drake. So we need something that sounds like a Drake song for our commercial. And, and so like you have to put in search terms happy hip hop and you know but like you can't verbalize the sound and so what better way to search than to use the sound itself through ai so what it means for discoverability what it means for just searching music in general like i don't i mean you're talking about using this for beats marketplaces the potential of this technology in like the music licensing space is just mind-boggling to me yeah yeah and it's out there ryan you know there are there are you know production music libraries that are are using a similar type of technology but you know i think the application for us is is again you know empowering the independent creator and and you know to your point with you know what you were saying about taylor swift is is you know we are quick as independent artists to go ahead and and give up rights to your music in order to get you know marketing which now can be replaced by just being on TikTok. Uh, distribution, which now can be replaced by DistroKit or TuneCore, to your point. Um, and so these, you know, these, these technologies are making it so that you don't have to sell your soul uh, and give your rights away in order to be um, you know, a successful uh, creator. And, and I think the other side to it is just you know, the way that you look at um, you know, independent creators today is, is that you know, they, they can take a lot of this stuff into their own hands. And, and so that there's, there's, you know, something to be valued for that. And that's what we want to support. That's, that's why we are providing the tools for, for folks to create their own stores. Like it is kind of competitive to our marketplace, right? Um, you know, we have people that subscribe to use our services so that they can create their own storefronts. And then we power the back end with our technology and, and Airbit services. But, we also offer the opportunity for the marketplace as well. And, and, you know, building in technology like this, we call it search by sound. So we use search by sound uh, as, as our AI technology. That's the whole idea of that is that, that just seems so incredible. Like that's, that's out of star Trek right there. I can't believe that <laughs> that's, that's the world we're in that, that AI can do that. And I am just so excited for what that means for discoverability, for, some small time indie creator who created a great piece of work who in the old world where we had to use verbal search terms to find the track we're looking for to be able to create something that can cut through the clutter because it's exactly the sound that somebody's looking for because you can search by sound is really awesome. I know with your platform, Judah, that, and you had spoken about this a little bit earlier in the interview about how you guys really seem to take an emphasis on community and, and creating a community in your space, which I think is sort of different from a lot of the other beats marketplaces that are just about buying and selling beats. Can you talk a little bit about that community aspect and why it's important to your platform? Yeah, this, this is, uh, we found in the past, you know, year or so how critical community is, um, you know, we're not a cool kids club 
And, and what I mean by that is, yes, cool kids are invited for sure. And we love to have cool kids on Arabic. But <laughs> what we're trying to do is we want to give everybody the resources to make music their career. And so in order to do that, we think uh, community is how you can do that at scale. Like if we, you know, hired, let's say we had, you know, a budget to hire 100 people to go and mentor producers or uh, go out there and, and have one-on-one -on -one discussions and be critiques and help people with marketing and branding, that, that's not scalable. Uh, what's scalable is, is inviting the community together to help each other. And, you know, we look at it as there's so many elements to the business and we, we do a lot of work ourselves where we, we create a lot of content uh, to put out there for the team. But what we've done uh, in the past, you know, four to I think five months is we've really put focus to our Discord server. Um, and our Discord server is, is where we're starting to see this incredible collaboration. We hear people giving each other advice. It's not, it's not a zero sum game when it comes to beats. In fact, it's, all, it's, it's, it's like inherently the opposite because what ends up happening is two people who want to sell a beat, they just collaborate. So it's not like I better get in front of this artist because otherwise this person's get in front of that artist. It's more that, hey, we see people on, on Discord helping each other out and at the end of the day, at the end of the day uh, making the decision to collaborate with each other. And, and so when we look at the community, you know, at the beginning of our Discord launch, we, we were doing a lot of the like, oh, if you need help collecting revenue on YouTube, here's how you do it. Oh, if you need some help with the Air platform, here's what you need to do. Now we've got our community doing that. So we have people asking questions about, hey, I can't figure out the, the Facebook tracking pixel for my infinity store on Airbit. And then another Airbit subscriber will be like, oh, actually, here's how you do that. And so that's, that's why I think, you know, when I look at our community, um, you know, outside of the competitors, but looking at our community, it's really a special group of people uh, that, that um, love what they do and, and they want to be rewarded for that. And so our job as, as, you know, a brand and a company in the music space is to help people stay independent don't sign away that publishing. Don't go ahead and, and sign to a label. Let's let's try to let's try to do it ourselves because we think you can, and that's what the community's goal is. It's to to rally together in that to be able to say, what can we do to um, help each other collaborate and and make music, uh, you know, more fair and and make it our career. Let me get more of your perspective on that last point because certainly. It's a point of view that I hold pretty strongly to. We built a whole podcast around that exact point of view about keeping control of your art, putting out your music independently, achieving career success on your own terms. Th those are the notes we play every week on the show. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad you're feeling the same way. But let me ask you, as somebody who's been in the industry long enough to see sort of the role of the label change, certainly what the labels looked like pre-2000, uh, slightly post 2000 when the industry collapsed and uh, the killers were stealing your business partners from you to today. So can you talk a little bit about how the role of the label has changed and what that means today in terms of the extent to which it's more possible now for musicians to be able to achieve career success without a label? So, you know, the labels are still relevant. They are still relevant. They're still you know, they, they control a lot of what happens on Spotify, you know, again, discoverability, you know, they, 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 they monopolize that game. And so what I think the key is, if you're an independent creator and you're coming up, the key is to find your niche. You need to play to your audience and you need to build that audience. And this is something that we talk a lot about on the Discord server and within our community in general it's great to be making music and you need to make great music. You have to focus on your craft and your, and your art, but there's the business side and there's the marketing side. And I think you need to be thoughtful of, of how to do that with the advent of the new tools that are out there to do that. Um, you know, paying attention to algorithms, paying attention to social media, paying attention to just your brand in general, you know, you hear about, you know, producers. And again, I'm a, I, I kind of look at it through the lens of the producer. The producer has historically been an underserved uh, creator and their community has been underserved. 
um, you know, they'd have to, you know, producers typically don't get paid until the, uh, until the artist gets paid. Uh, they depend on the artist and the label quite a bit. And so, you know, we look at producers as putting them in the forefront to be able to sell directly to an artist right away, get that money up front, whether it's an exclusive or, or, or a non-exclusive license. And so, you know, that to me is another way that a producer can stay independent is by focusing on that B2B, focusing on that, that, you know, label, labels become clients now, labels are buying beats. So, you know, we, we look at, at this in a different way because, and again, looking through the lens of a music producer, it's, it's really about how can they transact uh, on both the front end and the back end get money up front for licensing or selling a beat and then retaining the publishing rights, 50% publishing rights uh, to be able to also collect on the back end. So I think if that answers your question, I think the way I look at this is much more about, you know, what other ways like, you know, pre COVID people were upset with how much they're making from Spotify. They went on tour and most of these creators, artists were making money on tour and that was their bulk of their, their income. Um, and then, you know, we looked at, COVID time, the pandemic time, and we said to our producers, okay, now's the time, go sell, you know, all the artists are, are making records, now's the time to sell uh, your, your, your beats and, and get that money up front. Our guest has been uh, Judah Weidry. He is the COO of Airbit, an online beats marketplace that empowers musicians through community and provides unique monetization tools. Judah, this has been awesome. Uh, I love talking to people who basically just agree with everything we talk about on the show, <laughs> our favorite kind of people, but in all seriousness, we love the insight. We love the music history and just your, your dedication to empowering indie creators is super inspiring. Last question before we let you go for this week, do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Oh, wow. Um, I think it's, I think it's, you know, coming from the producer perspective, I think it's about, you know, building your brand, thinking about marketing, thinking about the way you present yourself. That's everything from how you price your music, um, you know, what you say, your, your, your tag, uh, everything that, that you put forward into, you know, in front of potential uh, collaborators or, or clients, customers, um, you know, think about how you position yourself. Um, half, a big portion of it is the music, but there's also an important piece of it, which is you know, how you come off in your brand. Right on. Great stuff. Fantastic dismount. Judah, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. Appreciate it. All right. Gosh, that was fabulous. I think we nailed it, JC. I think going with the yeah. killer's story, right on. I mean, obviously, we don't know how good the, the Pamplona story was or the Bitcoin story could have been. But, <laughs> I mean, like, Brandon Flowers stealing your business partners. That's, that, is, that is like some soap opera stuff right there. Just incredible. Um, before we sign off this week, want to uh, give, the, give the people out there, the viewers and the listeners, a rather delightful piece of Break the Business housekeeping. Things are awesome here at Break the Business <laughs> in terms of the guests we got coming in. Uh, last week, I had teased the possibility that we were landing the plane on booking Congressman Ted Deutsch to come on the program to talk about his Protect Working Musicians Act, which is the law that he's sponsoring that would allow indie creators to collectively bargain against platforms like Spotify and get better deals. We've been in touch with their press office back and forth, the whole team. We were, it was basically a lobbying effort to get him on the show. And Dang it, if we didn't make it happen, December 1st, Congressman Ted Deutsch on Break the Business, 9 p.m. Eastern. Don't miss it. Gonna be a blast. And chances are we probably have to put on some ties or something. Um, that's pretty big. That's, that's, that's exciting. Um, it's, it's very, very cool. He's basically the only congressman who's putting out legislation directly for indie creators. It's going to be awesome to hear from a U.S. congressman talking about empowering indie artists, talking about the future of federal legislation in this area. Because we talk about empowering indie creators on the business side through platforms like Airbit, but the idea of actually empowering indie creators through the halls of Congress, and we're going to have a congressman talk about that, woo, so exciting. I love it. That I'm, is I'm so huge thrilled. huge news. Yeah. 
But uh, but like I mean, our is, is our is our vibe gonna be okay for him? Like, do we need to dress up? Like, do I need to wear something? Like, do I need to do I need to start shirt? Like, oh, I don't it's know, definitely I don't know what the a tie moment. Because I definitely a tie moment. I was a U.S. Senate intern when I was in college for one semester. You you, you know the vibe. You've been an intern. I'm telling you, I had to wear a suit and a tie every day to the U.S. Capitol. And all I did was sort mail. Like, I I was not like, (laughs) I I wasn't giving like, I wasn't his Sam Seaborn, you know, giving policy advice on things. I was answering mail. And like once a week, I gave a tour. To some constituent. That was it. It was not suit and tie not needed. But, and so I'm like, you know, I don't know if like this same exact sweater that I wear every week on the show is going to do it for a member of Congress. So we're going to, we'll talk to Wardrobe about that, see what we're going to do. In the meantime, a little bit of pop culture worth talking about, JC. We had a blast last week, last weekend with some of the other uh, Break the Business people that come through here, Evan and Lisa. We were playing a little Mario Party. Mario Party's bad. Oh. It is back. Definitely better than ever. It was a uh, Superstars is the new version that just came out. Well, in true Mario Party fashion, they're like re just. It's basically just all the old games again. But, oh yeah, it's but uh, but it's on before. the Switch, and for the first time, you can play online. Oh yeah, which is incredible. Really I had such a good time. It was, it's novel, right? Who would have thought that just making Mario Party available to play online would be a thing that people would like and enjoy? Oh, it's so, I mean, between you, me, Evan, and Elisa, like us playing that game, has has anything like strengthened, but also simultaneously destroyed our friendships more than that particular game? Oh, absolutely. I can't stand any of you, but I also <laughs> love all of you. I, you know, it's definitely the sort of family building game that everyone, you know, it's, you always walk away uh, with some very mixed emotions, Yeah, uh, but most of it's fun. Is it your favorite, is it your favorite of the like Mario social games? Like, is it your favorite of the Mario cinematic universe? Like, I know you like carts. <laughs> I know you're yeah, a cart yeah, guy. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty big cart guy. I'm gonna have to, you know, it, it, it tier list. Let's, you know, that's probably a thing we need a whole top of the the show segment for. What is the Mario tier list, and we can put it on screen. Um, I'm gonna say that Mario Party, especially with this new one, that's got to be a tier. S tier yeah. is Mario Kart. Mario Kart is S tier. It's <laughs> the top of the pyramid for me. But uh, Mario Party is definitely uh, A. A tier. Yeah, Especially it's... if I win. If I collect <laughs> all those stars, I'm for sure. Well, that, that's where it gets you. So for the people who don't are not familiar with Mario Party, and if not, like, come on, get on it. Because it's come. it really is a blast. It is a fun game. And even if you're not, like, a gamer, it's a great kind of entry-level game. You don't need to be, like, really adept at video games to have oh, a good time playing totally Mario Party. Not, you could actually put the controller down, yep. have everyone else play the game, and win. Oh, yeah. Like, if that's, you just it, sit there, sometimes the games are so wacky <laughs> that you don't have to do anything, and you could totally walk away winning. Well, especially because the way that Mario Party structured is basically it's it's like a video game board game where you're trying to get stars yeah. and the person with the most stars wins. And generally the way you get stars is by winning coins and mini games that you then exchange for stars. And then if you get the most stars, you win. But that's not how it works completely, because at the end of the game, the game just like randomly gives you stars for like the most bleep reasons. Where it's like, like you're up by like two stars, and you got this because you got you won all the games, you got all the coins, and then they're just like, um, Yoshi gets a star for shiniest shoes, yeah. and like just freaking overtakes you. But it's it, and it sucks, and you get so mad. But it's like one of the things that makes the game delightful. Luigi was the greenest. Here is another star. <laughs> oh look, Luigi won. Who would have thought? Uh, it's a little bit more organized than that, but you know, that is the the cool thing that it it does bring that sort of bit. I'm a big board gamer. 
uh, for the audience that doesn't know. I know Ryan knows. I have uh, tortured you with say, many a board game rule too, yeah. in the past. Uh, but, you know, it, it really brings that feeling of, you know, family board game night and it's all chaos. Like, who knows? <laughs> You're just rolling dice and it's very shoots and ladders, candy land. Uh, who cares at the end of the day? Because you all played and had a, a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, it's, it's great to connect with that. It's a blast. Mario Party Twitch stream at some point. Just saying, just putting uh, that, just uh, putting, just it putting it out happen. into the universe. Just could just, happen. Just we, putting it out into the universe and see what comes back. We, we may, we may need a mature language. Uh, oh, for sure. On that one, that one so. definitely can't go on Sirius XM. All right, oh, yeah. our thanks to Judah Weedry for joining us. My thanks to you, JC. Thanks to Lauren, Jessica, Stell, all the people who make this show possible. Thank and thanks you most of all. Uh, viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. We will see you next week. Break the pill.